0: I used to be—I used to be. Uh, I don't know why I'm going to share this, but I am. I, no, I mean that. I—I I used to really—I—I—for uh, I, I a lot of my life have been an insecure mess. Um. I—I I, I would stutter and stammer, and uh, the good gift is God never allowed me the, the disguise of self-confidence. Some of you got a lot of self-confidence it's actually not actually helping you. For some of you, you don't have much self-confidence, and the world says you need more of it, but it's probably not the prescription that God would give you. And what's amazing has been to watch God bring me into a courage that's not derived of my sufficiency. So I no longer get to, like, stand up and boast about how good of a Christian I am, because that's not really the point. But I do have a boast in how good of a God he is. And that's given me a confidence to, to do weird things. To stand up and sing out of tune sometimes because I feel the spirit leading us to do it. To, to preach and expect that it's not going to go really, really bad. And you all aren't going to pick up rocks, take me out back and throw them at me and kill me. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe... maybe the biggest deception that some of you have in your mind is that, you know, there's just some people that have this kind of God swagger confidence that you don't have. And, and, and you just need uh, to get, I don't know, out all of your insecurities and stuff like that. And just, I, I don't know, I don't know what, what the performance voice in your head is telling you you need to do to be loved. Uh, but I would, I would submit to you that God is not looking for any performance for him to send his love. Um, not to get ahead of myself, but God is led with his love towards you. So if he's leading with it before you've ever turned to him in repentance, what makes you think that after you've turned to him you're going to make yourself more lovable by some performance that's going to catch his eye? Yeah. Yeah. God loves you in an unmerited, untransactional covenantal way. He loves he loves you. He loves you. I've never been more convinced of anything more in my life than of the love that is constantly flowing from the Father through the Son to those that are in Christ Jesus. All right, that's not anything that I'm supposed to actually talk to you about today, and I will get to the point and start down the path. Hey, but it's not football season and most baseball got rained out today, so good news. What else we got to do but be in church together? Amen? We're in a season, uh, I've been here a little over 18, 19 months now, uh, where I've gotten the joy of getting to be a part of this community, be refreshed by it. Uh, my wife and I came into this community very messy and broken, and this community, though it's very messy and broken, has been a place where God has, through messy and broken people, done a lot of work and healing on my own soul. Um, I have regained a love to pastor here. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I, I, I think at times we thought was kind of in the rear view. Um, because it, it, it can be difficult to love other broken people when you yourself are broken. And um, it, it can be daunting if you're in a place where, that you put yourself in, not anyone's fault, or you believe that you've got to portray perfection in a way that you cannot actually live up to. And... Um, I just, I just think that there is a uh, gift that God has given us in these 19 or 20 months or however long it's been of getting to know this community where uh, I just don't feel like I have to be something that I have not become in Christ Jesus yet, but I get to be whatever I am in Christ Jesus right here and right now. And God, by his grace, has been very good to us. We just got the first quarter numbers that you kind of look at to say, okay, are we, are we getting healthy? Are we moving in the right direction? And uh, all, all those markers were up around 38% in attendance from this four months this year than last year, and yeah, those are, those are good things, those are good things. It's not a summation that we're healthy, the bigger thing that I'm consumed with and, and driving towards for us as a church is that we would be becoming a Jesus-obsessed, gospel-centered community, Uh, That that this would be a place, not where you hear about the work and move of God, but you would experience the work and move of God. Uh, That this would be a place where you would not hear about broken people who are laying their brokenness before God. And people with their perfection and their crowns laying them before God. Because whether or not you are revered by thousands or you're revered by none, we come before a king that loves all of us. And the only reason that we can stand in front of thousands should God put us in front of them is because we go back to one that we actually stand for to do anything that we do do, right? Um, So whether we preach in front of 100 or serve in front of 500 or whatever we do out there where we get accolades and achievements that can consume our eyes and our time, the reason we're able to do it as the people of God is because at the end of the day, we go before one God and one king, and he refuels, reminds, refreshes, and equips us to go back out and serve the many that he puts into our path, so uh, we want to be a gospel center community, but there's a, there's a question I asked last week, and I want to ask it again this week, and I'm going to ask it again next week, and I'm going to ask it again the next week, and I'm going to ask it again the next week, and I'm going to ask it again the next week, and then I'll stop asking you for a while, but give me some time, and I'll probably ask it of you again, and that's simply this, with all the growth of all the people, why are you here? Like, why did you drive past so many churches that are going to have an open Bible, and preachers, and music, and things that are good, and perhaps some things you like and would prefer that were here, well, I drive past all that to be here, and we just want to be very clear in this season that we believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've moved from picking churches to being assigned to churches, and there's a big difference. You see, we have a culture that likes to pick a church. We look at the menu of what the church offers. We like uh, some of the things that they allow us to do or some of the things that they forbid us to do. We uh, figure out what fits best for us, and then based off of kind of a preferential choice, we then join a church and get to be a part of it. But then whenever they don't meet our menu requirements, we move on to another menu at another church in another place instead of actually getting into the hard work of the gospel that could make us holy, that could be a part of God's work in teaching us to love the difficult and the lowly in a way that would allow us to become more compatible with his heart, that would allow us to be transformed into his son's image in a way that would look better and more God-honoring if we would endure it instead of moving on whenever the menu doesn't match the preference of what we want in our spiritual diet. So I'm asking the question repeatedly, why are you here? Because if you're a follower of Jesus... I believe that God, by His Holy Spirit, has gifted you with spiritual gifts that are meant to edify a body of believers who together are creating a symphony of praise and honor and glory to God who are a light and darkness to this community. And if this is not the place where you have been assigned, let me be very clear with you. We are not here as a local church to compete with the local churches around us, but we are here to complement and we have an assignment that we have to be about. Every church has a life cycle. I Meaning, most churches don't live two, three hundred years. The churches in the uh, beginning of Revelation, they don't exist anymore in that way. They started, they began, and most of them, over time, kind of drifted off of mission and wandered into other secondary things that require correction and course correction and being kind of reborn again and, and looking at the opportunities as the community changes with how it can change. I, can't think of this more than thinking of the experience that I went through as we merged two churches together in California where one church had been in an area of town that was ethnically the same as everyone that was in it. But over time, the entire community became almost completely Hispanic, but the church remained almost completely what it was, which was non-Hispanic. And so we're on the east side of Bakersfield at this church that's covered. like You can't, you can't go five feet without running into people that are from a Hispanic background, but there's no one Hispanic in the church. So the community changed, but the church didn't change as a reflection of the community. And we don't allow the values outside the walls of here to influence the things that we value inside of here. But our values and love of God should drive us to be on mission to reach the people that are within the direct vicinity of our church. And if we're not, that creates a big problem and a big question to ask. If there's a diverse community out here around us and we are not a diverse community within here, what has drifted away from the heart of the Father that has sent us into the community? to go and reach it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? And so so again, why are you here? This is the question that I want to bring up because we have a life cycle as a church and we believe that God has given us an assignment in our life cycle to be the kind of church that reaches the least and the lost and the lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which may sound very similar to what everybody's trying to do, but let me be very clear. Some of you, all of you are messy inwardly. Some of you are really good about keeping your mess inward. And some of you, for whatever reason, can't keep the mess that's on the inside from stopping flooding out on the outside. And you're what we would call in the south, not just an inward mess, but a hot mess. (laughs) At this church, we find that most of who we gather with and draw are a bunch of hot messes. We don't know how to put on cover-up, makeup, and church clothes and act like we got it together. Because in this house, for a lot of us, there's a great God at work and a great mess that continues to flood into the other areas of our life. And we love Jesus, but for most of us in this room, I've experienced, he doesn't have all of your mouths and he definitely doesn't have all of your minds. <laughs> and here's the good news. We are the kind of church that I believe has been assigned for people like that. That take a lot more love and a lot more patience before you see real change. That's not what every church is going to do. That's not every church's assignment. Some churches are there for the those that have already been found. And they're there to disciple them into greater theological understanding of God. And that, they major on that, and they do a really good job of that. And that may be where you're at. You need to be in a church that's going to break down every thesis that Luther hung on the door and all points of Calvin's sermons and everything that Luther did in the Reformation. And we want to study Spurgeon's sermons that he preached in great depth. And we're going to go into a deep dive on eschatology. I met a pastor one time that was planning a church, and I said, Hey, what, what do you believe is the unique assignment of your church? And he said, Eschatology. And he has stayed true to that. They have, for the better part of like seven or eight years of that church's existence, tied everything to the end times and how this is speaking to the culminating return of Christ. And that is their thing that they major on. That that seems to be their mission. And there's a lot of people that they love talking about. They usually start by saying revelations. They put an S on it. It's it's one singular revelation. But they go there because they want to tie everything to it. Now, there tends to be a lot of focus on the end times in that gathering from those people. And I, I love them. And there's not a lot of bringing your worries and concerns to God through prayer and petition. And so there's a time where we can freak out when we get in so consumed with one thing like that that it takes over our mind. But that's not here nor there. My point is we have a mission, and our mission is to reach the lost and lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. We've written it on paper. We put it on a sign out in the foyer, and that's not enough to make sure that it gets done. Because every single person in here has experienced the moment where you realized, I need vision, I need a mission, I need a goal. So you wrote it down on paper, you wrote it down on a mirror, you stated it with some accountability around you. This is what we need to do. We are here, and we need to go here, and this is where we want to be. And you laid it out there, and then three months passed, but nothing changed. Then six months passed, but nothing changed. By month nine, you didn't even mention it anymore. By month 12, which is the natural time we're kind of in the calendar after you set missions and goals, you get to the beginning of a new year, you naturally start thinking, where are we going to go this year? What would God have us do this year? What, what would his leadership lead us to prioritize as a family? You almost get discouraged with it, so no one wants to have a mission or no one wants to have a goal because it's just words that are written on paper and we don't know how to find the path to actually get there. And, and I would submit to you, I would submit to you, that at Four Points Church, if we were to be about reaching the least lost and lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's our goal, that's our mission, that good goals alone will not produce the changed outcomes we desire. And you know this from your own goals and from your own missions in your life. For some of you, you wanted to get healthy. So you wrote down 2020, the year of clear vision and health. And and either you became a monk that studied the Bible in months of lockdown, a chunk that ate your feelings in months of lockdown, or a hunk that literally did push-ups until you got out of lockdown. (laughs) That was good. But my, my, my point is that a lot of us state desires, missions, goals, things that we feel like the Lord would lead us to do. And for whatever reason, we can't figure out why we can't get to the place of seeing those things realized. Well, the potential problem is, is not only do you need good goals, that's 10% of the process. You need to check bad habits that are keeping you from progress towards the good goals. You need to check values that are keeping you from making progress towards the good goals. You see, you've got a good goal. You want to get healthy. That seems good. Whether that's spiritually, emotionally, physically, you want to get healthy. Okay, that's the start. Now, let's work backward and look at all of the habits and all of the values that are keeping you from that goal. If your goal is physical health, but you still value the drive through of Culver's around eleven thirty at night when you get off, because sometimes it's treat yourself day every day, <laughs> then what we have is a habit and a value that values culvers over the salad that's not actually helping you get down the path to actually having a physically more healthy life. So the problem's not that the goal is wrong, the problem is that the habit's not been identified as needing to change. The value hasn't changed. You see, good, good goals defines the destination, but it requires good values to keep road barriers or uh, uh, things that line the road that actually pave the path for you to get there. So for a lot of us, we're targeting Walmart shoppers when it comes to the values that we have. We set out at the beginning of the year to get healthy, but then we go in and we get distracted. We got distracted by the snack aisle. We got distracted by the uh, energy drink aisle, which was a shortcut on not having to sleep, which is actually something you might need in order to live a healthy life. So instead of sleeping, you just caffeinate more. But these things are actually leading you down a path that's not going to end at better health, but more stress, more anxiety, and discouragement over not arriving to the goal that you set out. So for the next several weeks, I want to spend some time with you unpacking the values that we believe are going to keep us on the path of actually getting to the and staying on track with the mission that we have at this church, which is to be a church where the messy are welcome, where the broken are met, Not with the scorn of the religious and self-righteous, but with the open hands of a father that is demonstrating through a people his ongoing, pursuing, constant love for the least of these around us. See, the truth is, if we drift from that mission, we'll become a museum or a country club. But I've got no desire to be a curator of a museum and no desire to be a country club member collecting dues and keeping everybody happy. This is meant to be a place where the Spirit of God is at work, calling out into the darkness with the light of the gospel for those that have not seen or known a way out of the darkness who can now find it through the light of Jesus Christ who is demonstrated and led with love towards us. So for many of us, we desire change in our life, but we haven't met that change. Let me push in on that. Let's talk about it from a scriptural level. Many people back in the 90s started quoting in proof-testing, a one-half proverb in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. It was a way for pastors to take the front half of a verse and use it to then throw in whatever their carnal plans were for the church to so then say, see, we needed vision. I gave us vision. Let's do it. Which created a lot of egomaniacs who were in the role, and many of them saved and just broken people that need Jesus, who began to run church like CEOs. Instead of shepherding They became people that, you know, were building kingdoms of themselves and as they continued to put their hands on it, it looked less and less like the kingdom of God, hurts began to get covered up instead of dealt with, and as a result, scandals began to spread in the headlines because a pastor got a vision to start a church in his own image instead of the image of Christ because we proof-tested one text and then threw in a whole lot of extras that weren't even in the verse. And I bring it up to say this, for a lot of us, we need to go back and look at this verse and then look at what it actually describes as the values that lead us to its destination. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That's the part that pastors like to quote. Right? The second part, we leave off. Because the second part actually gives the prescription of the habits and values needed to arrive to a destination of a life that gives God honoring. Now the vision that's spoken of in this text It's not just a vision for whatever you want in your life, although you can take it and apply it in the kind of a loose way, that if you don't have a vision of what health looks like, it's hard to then set out on an adventure of going to a place of greater physical health. That if if you don't describe or... claim this is what we're trying to do then what ends up happening is you kind of wander around aimlessly but that's not the idea of this text the idea of this text is actually if you want to live a life that is God honoring the second part tells us that if you want to live a life that's great in God's eyes then you have to get a vision for what that looks like now the prescribe in the Old Testament is this if you want to get there a life that honors God then you're gonna have to have habits and values that are built on and build boundaries by the law of God you can't live a God-honoring life have other gods that are before him. So if you want to live a God-honoring life, but keep your little idols on your shelves and giving your affection and time to them in some way that you put your trust in in an unhealthy way, what you will find is a con- contradictory habit and value that is actually leading you away from the path that leads to a God-honoring life. Right? Now the Decalogue, what we often go to when we speak of the law of God, it uh, gives us ten commandments. The first five deal with our vertical relationship with God. The second five deal with our horizontal relationship with each other. You can't get to dealing with each other until you deal with God. If you want a godly way in your dealings with each other. You see, Jesus comes later into the scene. And we all understand this now in hindsight, looking at it through a New Testament lens. That if the prescribed today was, keep the law of God, bless you and amen. I've just condemned you to failure. Because you by nature will find something other than God to covet. You by nature will bend your knee to something other than God to worship. You by nature will take God's name in vain whenever you give his praise that he's given you his air to breathe and a vocal box to speak whenever you begin to praise people over the creator, which is what the book of Romans speaks of when it says instead of worshiping God, we instead bent our knee and worshiped the creation of God and we held it up as an idol over God. That's why the summation in the book of Romans is all have sinned, not some. It doesn't matter your ethnic background or your economic status. All are found under the law in the same category, and that is justly condemned when it comes to God's way. Who cares what man's told you is okay? At the end of the day, you should be worried about a God that's holy and righteous that you will stand before and give an account of your life to. And at the end of the day, the law condemns all, all of us, apart from the blood of Jesus, as being able to stand on that day and with confidence stand that we will be received on that day with love instead of rejection and being cast away from the Father into outer darkness. You see, there's no vision, the people perish, but happy is he that keeps the law. How do we get there when we can't keep the law? Well, there's a lawyer that comes to Jesus, and he was trying to trap Jesus, and what does he say to Jesus? Okay, uh, tense, tough. So, if you were to sum up what's the most important part, what would you say? Which was really a way in his pharisaical mind of trapping Jesus into dividing the law. But Jesus being... Jesus, (laughs) looks at him and says, what have you heard? And he says, well, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. The first five deal with our vertical relationship with God. The second five deal with our horizontal relationship with each other. Jesus says, so if you want to know what's important, you start with know whether God's before me. And then, then you move on to the second one and the third one and the fourth one, and the fifth one, which will lead you into the sixth one, and the seventh one, and the eighth one, and the ninth one, and the ten one. You see, the law is not passing away. The law is being fulfilled. The whole point of the law was to reveal a Messiah who was not like us, but was amongst us, who lived in our place and walked in our path. And what we read about in the New Testament that is so profound to me that jumps off the page at me is when Jesus was baptized we are told theologically that he never ceased being the son of God but that he wrapped himself in flesh meaning he walked in our path experiencing the human experience yet without failure and how did he do that how, how did that happen well some people think that he just you know, kind of cheated and used some of his divine attributes to get over the rough parts of the human experience. But at his baptism, the Spirit comes upon him and leads him into the wilderness to be tempted after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. And it's on the Spirit's leadership as Jesus surrenders to it that we look at and experience what the Christian life is supposed to look like, which is a life that is dependent upon the Spirit of God to lead us to conquer what we cannot conquer in the flesh. You see, Jesus lived a Spirit-filled life, So that we would know that the Christian life that would come after it in Christ would be a spirit-filled life if it's to honor God. If you and I want to live a life that honors God, then there's going to have to be a high value of the Word of God. Because it's within the Word of God that we find the law of God. It's through the law of God that there's one man that is revealed as perfect. The God-man named Jesus, who is the Son of God. You see, if you don't have a value of the Word then you're not going to give value to his law that's in the word. If you don't have a value of the law that's in his word, then you're going to dismiss the value of the Savior that came through his word. If you dismiss the Savior that came through his word, oh, I'm preaching, if you dismiss the Savior who came through his word, then what ends up happening is you think there's other serviceable saviors that can be found outside of his word. And whenever you begin to look for saviors outside of his word, what you end up on is a path to idolatry and not godly living. You see, you say, I want a life that honors God in the end, but you live with values that don't look at the prescribe of what we are actually to give our life and attention and affection to that keep us on the path of actually being focused on living a life that honors God. Are you tracking with me? Let me take it a step further. Uh, What is the covenant marker of you being a follower of Jesus? What does the Bible say? You will know them by their, which is derived from the? the Holy Spirit. He marks us and seals us by His Spirit. Now, that I, I get I know I'm speaking to a diverse group of people, and for some of you, you immediately think, woman with the tambourine and the flag running through. That, that is not the only way that the Holy Spirit at times works. I'm not going to tell you that the woman with the tambourine and the flag isn't filled with the Spirit. She very well may be. She's seen the Spirit deliver her through some stuff, and she just can't keep in. So, as messy as she was outwardly before she met Jesus, she continues to allow the good work of Jesus that's coming in her to not stop coming out from her. Some of you are messy outwardly before you meet Jesus and then you try to put it together and contain Jesus within you when he was never meant to be contained instead of letting him out of you. And so this is just my little prod and my little encouragement to a few of you who are like I'm just not that expressive. When your life was a mess outwardly and Jesus was not ashamed to be associated with you in that moment, what makes you now not want to be expressive to him outwardly now that he has changed you and transformed you and you look a little bit better in them church clothes that you're wearing and showing up in and you don't feel as guilty whenever you come into the house because you know you haven't been with swipe right last night like you used to be when you would still come to church i just said you have been with swipe i don't know where it's messy It's the work of the Spirit. You're marked by the Spirit. Galatians says that in chapter 5, there's this fruit that comes from you not abiding in the Spirit, which means you live a life that's not God-honoring. It's carnal. It's the wording in the text. It's producing the fruit of division. It's producing the fruit of jealousy. It goes through and lists out all the fruits of what you naturally are good at, apart from the work and intervention of God. But But then it describes, by the grace of God, The Spirit of God that's been put inside of you. And when you surrender to the Holy Spirit, the fruit that's derived from it. Now, let me just remind you, Luke 9, chapter 23, it's my life verse, it's my favorite text. If you go into my office, above my door, you'll see Luke nine twenty three. 23. In almost every house we've ever lived in, we've got Luke nine twenty three somewhere that's in it, and we're behind on getting the sticker up in the new house, but there soon will be a sticker that goes out of our exits so that my kids and myself and my wife are constantly reminded that every single day we have a choice. We can live by the flesh or we can live by the Spirit. And the way that we go to living a life that is by the Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit is we take up our cross daily, denying ourselves and surrendering surrendering and yielding our life to his provision, to his leadership, and his lordship over our life. And so I hang it over my doorway so that whenever I leave, like Notre Dame does whenever they run out on a football field and it's got that stupid sign that they hit, I hit my sign that says, die to yourself, submit to the leadership and the lordship of God, expect the spirit of God to interrupt you, to move through you, to empower you, to engage with you, to to move around you. I don't walk out into my day hoping God is at work in it, I walk out of my day reminding myself that he's already been at work in it before I ever walked out the door of my house. To go into it. And so look, look, I just, I just want to remind you, this is the opportunity that we have. If you want to live a life that honors God, we got to bear his fruit. The way that we bear his fruit is we abide in the spirit. The way that we abide in the spirit is we take up our cross daily and we get ourselves out of the way. My favorite prayer to pray over many a young man is God save them from themselves. Because it's in the guise of self-sufficiency that many of you do not live in God dependency and you have been created as men and women of God to live in a clingy relationship with God by the Spirit of God that's at work in you to derive his fruit through you. So how many of you, as it goes on to describe the Spirit of God, want these outcomes in your life? The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives, love. Anybody need a little bit more love in their life? Throw your hands up, throw your hands up, okay? Okay. How many of you just lied in church? You can throw your hands up. Okay, I'm just kidding. Most of us want the outcome of love. The problem is is we don't want to follow God's path for it being derived in our life. Instead, we would rather go outside of God in the Word of God that reveals to us a God who in nature and character is love to find love. This is what Adam and Eve bought into. They bought into the idea that apart from God, a love could be found that would be sufficient and satisfying that would last them through the night. And so many of us want love, but in the words, I believe it's the Doobie Brothers. I may get it wrong. Maybe in the Alman Brothers. I don't know. But they wrote a song. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many places. That's for some of y'all. Y'all have too many places. My point. My point my point is you continue to go to people that can carry God's love, but they aren't the source of God's love. And so, so even if they are followers of Jesus and they carry God's love, you need to understand that you get to go to the well, too, and drink of his love. You get to have a personal interaction with his love. You don't have to drink from my Uh, giving of God and his love that he's given to me that I pour out. No, you get to experience it for yourself. But for many of us, we only drink from other people's buckets that have come from a well that we already have access to but we never want to go to. So we walk around feeling insecure. We walk around feeling unloved. We walk around trying to get love from people in a transactional way, which then never allows us to experience the love that our soul desires because we never have experienced covenantal love. You see, transactional love earns it, which then gives you terror on having to keep it by the performance that you put up to get it on the day that you got it that now tells you you've got to eclipse it to continue to keep it amongst you. But covenantal love says, I love you before you chose to love me. I love you and pursued you before you even looked at me. I demonstrated my love for you in that while you were still sinners, I died for you. (laughs) That's covenantal love. You didn't earn it. You didn't achieve it. Therefore, you can't lose it on the basis of the performance that you have. And whenever you know that you're loved by a God that's given you covenantal love and not transactional love, then you're able to love people with a love that you can be generous with because you don't have to hold on to it knowing that the well's not going dry because in its very nature and character, he is Love. God is love. Anybody want more love? Well, if, if you're looking for love in a relationship with people instead of a relationship with God, if you're looking for love by your achievements in the adoration and affection of their praise in the crowd instead of it being something that honors God, then what you're going to find is a broken person that's insecure because they have a transactional love and not a covenantal love and they cannot walk in the love of the Father. Because it's not derived in the love that he has given them, and they're abiding with him. So they're not abiding in the spirit, they're abiding in the flesh, and they don't find love, but they find jealousy and envy, which come. Okay, let's take it a step further. How, how many of you want joy? We're going to be here till 3 o'clock if we don't start moving, right? How many of you want joy? Anybody need a little bit more joy in your life, right? Now How many of you have sought joy, let's be honest, in the affection and time we're given in thinking about how great summer vacation is going to be? And I'm not saying that you don't need a summer vacation. I'm just saying that for a lot of us, we put all of our hope on joy and peace and rest coming there in that week. And then what happens when you get there in that week? Let's go back to last year. The week goes by quick. You're frustrated because your kids don't let you sleep. You're more tired than you went th- than before you went. And what you don't find is peace and joy and rest. You come back frustrated and need a vacation from your vacation, which is something we in America like to constantly throw, oh it was great, it was great we were on our feet all day, my feet are killing me I'm dying because we went in a sweaty theme park and we spent all of our money (laughs) so we're broke and we've got to unbreak ourselves so that we can re-break ourselves at Christmas, it's going to be awesome so that we can give our kids stuff that they don't need it's going to be phenomenal but we're good, blessed, highly favored (laughs) Sorry, you ain't got to agree with me I'm just reading your mail Joy is not an achievement. Joy is a posture that comes from receiving the Spirit of God that is at work in your life every single day. The joy is not the destination. The joy is no matter where you're at on the journey, God is with you. I mean, I mean, I mean consider this. the, The 23rd Psalm, David's reflection at the end of his life on life's journey is that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I like those. Although if you look at the picture of what he meant by green pastures, you probably wouldn't think it was that green, which is what a lot of you are doing when it comes to your justification of your selfishness towards God right now. Green pastures does not mean more than enough. It means God's got enough and he already knows where the more than is. And if you'll just deal with honoring him with what he's already given you today, then he's already got the next pasture for you to graze in tomorrow that'll give you what you need to do tomorrow. But we don't want to talk about that much. It doesn't work with the prosperity gospel that many of us want to believe. My, my point, Lord is my shepherd, son, I shall not want him. he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. There's peace. It's not coming because the journey isn't difficult. It's coming because I'm with the Lord who allows me to rest in green pastures and walk by still waters. He restores my soul, not a vacation, not a promotion, not an achievement, not a trophy, not an adoration from a person, not a new marriage, not better kids, not achievements of the kids that we then put pressures on them and on their shoulders to achieve for us what we didn't achieve so that we can get our identity and value as being the best parent ever as we sit at the game and like we're seeing them in all their glory. That's my thoughts, not yours. But my point is he restores my soul, not others' achievements or my achievements. Even though I walk through the valley of the Oh, I forgot one. He leads me in passive righteousness for his namesake even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death fear doesn't come I still got joy you know why you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil so even if I'm surrounded (laughs) right okay I'm just gonna be honest how can you not get Pentecostal like that like, like, if that hits, like, like, even if it's just on the inside and you're like, "Oop, bumps. <laughs> <laughs> like, like ha- there's got to be a little, like, I know if he's in, like, there's got to be a little, so it's like, hmm, that's good. <laughs> I tried being calm, y'all, for years. I just can't do it. I don't fit in. Okay, my point. <laughs> we want love, but we go outside of God expecting to find love. We want joy, but we think we'll find it apart from God. We, will, we want peace. Go outside of God thinking that peace will be found. If you, in the words of the cheesy pastor, if you know God, you can know peace. But if you don't know God, you will not know peace. See, m- many of us, we, we want these outcomes in our life. These are our goals. These are our missions. We, we give a lot of affection towards getting love. We give a lot of time and attention towards finding joy. We give a lot of uh, time and attention of trying to make ourselves more self-controlled. And what we don't understand is that ultimately this is all by design in our souls to remind us of a need of a Savior that is all-sufficient for all needs in all seasons. Uh, The idea is that in the grace of hearing that that's actually the need, that that, that Jesus actually, not in some kind of like second-rate way, but in the only way that it can really be experienced, holds all of those things and they can only be derived and experienced in our lives by His blood and through His Spirit the idea is that you would see and hear that and you would come to the realization that you need that so that you would then begin to revalue reevaluate your priorities in your life so sure you've got to make a living if you're a father or a mother for your family but making money isn't the only thing whenever god is the ultimate chief end and aim so just because you can get more money doesn't mean it's a quick yes instead you start with the greater value the greater value is we want to be a family that honors god and god's going to come first and is this going to in some way though we are being provided in a way that may not be as comfortable as we want it to be, hinder us from our chief value. And if our chief value is God first, we are a family that's going to serve the Lord, book of Joshua, which for a lot of you what you say is your mission and your value and what you're doing, then you've got to look at more than just the opportunity. You've got to look at how much time is it going to take? Is it going to pull you away from things that are mission critical? Is it going to make you have to be replaced in places that you're irreplaceable? At the end of the day, if you become a higher income family but you become an absentee father, you have now allowed and thought to yourself that money can replace the father in the house but let me go ahead and give you a little bit of an insight into the fact that there is no replacing the father no matter how much the culture likes to tell you that dads aren't needed what we have in this country right now is a daddy crisis Men have forsaken the duty of living as men of God, and as a result of that, they have not been devoted to God, therefore, they're not devoted to the women that God brings into their life. So, they get them pregnant, and because they are shaving and look the part of being a man, we presume them to be ready for the responsibilities of a man. But instead of being a God man, a God fearing man, a God dependent man, they wander away into childish behavior because all they were wanting to do was have a childish time in their life. What we need right now is a group of men that want to be God men who will then go backwards and go, okay, this dating app is not helping me with godly behavior. This remote control that is allowing me to build a virtual career is not helping me raise the next generation. Therefore, though I love the video game, the greater value, which is to live the life of being a godly man, comes to lie over it. Therefore, I can't use this and keep this and it may need to go into the trash because there's a generation growing up becoming just like me and walking after me and they're not looking like the image of God. They're looking like the image of a broken man that's not dependent on God. I, I know I'm meddling in second service and I'm supposed to wrap up, but... Let me be clear This is why your values matter In this life you will have what? trouble if you're walking towards wanting to be a godly person it will be met with resistance you will have to go through temporary suffering you will have to deal with difficulty that will come against the progress towards the path that the lord is assuring you that he can lead you down of becoming a godly man presented perfect before him in christ jesus at the end of time but you will experience resistance and if you have those temporary setbacks and you don't have values that remind you of what's most important then you drift off course And what started out as looking like someone that was going to be white, hot, and faithful becomes the parable of the seed that hit the ground, that grew up quick, that was amongst the rock, that the sun came and scorched, and it was nowhere to be found in the end. All because at some point difficulty came, and you thought it was trying to get you to go in another direction instead of you bearing down by the Spirit of God and the power of God to endure in the same direction God has called you to go in. So we get values and we get them clear because when we get values that are clear and hard times come, we endure knowing that there is a greater reward than the tribulation that we face on this side. Man, there was someone in the Bible, I think his name was Paul, and there was a church that was suffering and they were going through it. People were being put to death and he said, I count these current troubles in comparison to what's to come. I count these current tribulations as small little momentary afflictions whenever I consider the bigger thing that's on the other side of the giant and the melting and the obstruction and the thing that's keeping me from like when I when I am reminded I know it hurts I know we're going through loss I know we're running and we've been scattered which is where the church was I know we got to go underground because it's not culturally acceptable around us but when I consider What's on the other side of God's work and me abiding in it for a long-observed obedience, I count all of the tribulation, all of the backlash, all of the pushback as being small in comparison to the great day and moment of the return of Christ when his bride stands before him and time comes to an end and we enjoy him forever. Oh, you need a God vision. You need a God vision for your life. You need a God vision for your life. You need a God vision for your life. He has given it in Scripture. It is not something that you have to derive. You don't have to come up with it. You don't have to figure it out. You have been created to enjoy God, to love God, to serve God, and to mirror God to everyone that is around you. And the way that it's been made possible is the blood of Christ has paid for you. And the Spirit of God has empowered you so that you can be on mission with this good work. There are values that will keep you on the path to being the people of God that He's called you to be. For us as a church, we believe that we have been called uniquely. To reach the least in the lost and the lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is my honor and joy over the next several weeks to introduce you to the values that we believe will keep us on task until Jesus returns or decides that it's this little church's time to move on in history. So that when we end, we end faithful. That's the goal. That's the goal. A few questions for you to reflect on as we head out today. Um, The first is this. Do you have a goal, mission? Problem or a value habit problem in your life. For some of you, you have no vision. You don't know what you're trying to do. You know, hey, that sounded great. Whatever you were yelling about up there, I don't know what that looks like. Well, that's that's why we have a community. We're figuring it out together. Some of you lack vision. For others of you, you've got that clear. I know what I want to do. I feel like I know what God's called me to do. But for various reasons, I don't have the habits and values in my life, my community, my current community. That influences me most, if I'm being honest. It's not propelling me towards Christ, but it's propelling me from Christ. I don't come out more godly whenever I'm around them. I come out more sinful when I'm around them. And I continue to prioritize them as being a major part of my life whenever God is the chief priority of my life. And if the end game goal is that that be the end game, I may have to allow God to move them out of my life. I was one of the first to become no Jesus when all my friends were still drinking, cussing, chewing, and kissing girls that were doing, Okay? And I remember I went back home. It was in college, and uh, I had a friend that was throwing a party, and there were lots of like 17-ish year old girls there, were all 18, 19 years old, and there's alcohol. And I I, I remember for the first time I was in that environment, and I, I physically got sick. Like, not not at them. I got sick to, to where I was like I can't be here, I, I just I can't do this some of you are in that job like right now, like tomorrow you, you're, you love the Lord and you're going to go it because you got to and, and you're just sick I, just can't, I can't do this anymore, they ethically require us to constantly compromise our ethics, they continue to ask for us things that we just we, I can't give them and, and, I'm just, and, and I had to get out of there, I, I had to be obedient to it, my friends were calling, where are you at why are you leaving, I was like hey I love Jesus and I don't know why but I just felt like Jesus told me I can't be there anymore, it was weird I thought I was weird What's awesome is almost all of them love the Lord now. Sometimes God chooses you to be the first. It's like, hey, I, I, can't, I can't do it this way. Like we're trying to become a, right now we're, we're doing travel ball. And like it's, it's a big experiment. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like it, I, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with it. Because we have a value as a family that God comes first. But that, man, that, they want all the time that you'll give them. And so you don't talk about testing boundaries. They're, they're asking, you know, well, there's this camp and there's this thing. And then, hey, hey, Luke's playing really good. You want him to play every weekend? No, I don't. I don't. I don't want him to play every weekend. Like every other weekend's enough. And like it keeps raining on Sundays by God's grace because our butts will be here whether it's raining or not. And God's helping me in the early stages disappoint nine-year-olds because I'd rather disappoint nine-year-olds than disappoint him. And for some of you, it's the inverse. So we'll be at church and then we'll come to Gastonia or wherever you move the tournament to last minute. Because God comes first in our family, in the community of God comes second before travel ball. It's tough. Y'all got to hold me accountable to it. Like it's, it's not easy. I'm coaching it. I, I have this all in personality. I'm like, let's just do more. You want to go and hit today? You want to go to work on fielding day? Hey, here's Ozzie Alsby's fielding drills. Let's go and run them with nine year olds. It's a little much. Do you have a mission problem, a vision problem, or do you have a value problem? Your values need to change. Your habits need to change. It's not just going to happen. You can write it on paper, but you're not going to get there unless the values and the habits change. Uh, A Second quick question, uh, what are your current outcomes saying about your practice values? I get that you now have written down your values for some of you. This is where I want to go. These are the values that we believe are going to get us there. But are you actually practicing them? There's one thing to say that we want to live a healthy life, and then you look in the fridge, and it's like all processed foods, and like you got donuts yesterday, which is the cheat day, and then you, you know, got a... 3,000 calorie coffee this morning which was actually a lot of sugar with a drop of coffee in it we um, we got to got look at this, what do we really value is it happening, number three is there a disconnect between the goals you have stated and the habits you are keeping if so that's what we want to attack that's what we want to attack as a church, look I'm not telling you our values because we're going like, to abide in them and live them perfectly, I'm telling them because we're going to drift from them and someone's going to have to say hey I thought this was a value and we were trying to do that so why are we doing this that's the whole point. Uh, how are your values filtering your yes and your no? It's hard, but is what's on the other side worth it? Do you really value it? And if so, is God asking you to endure it? Or walk away from it? Come and follow me, take your cross. That's not a Luke 9, 23. That's not a, hey, this is going to be easy. No, if you want to be uncommon, it's going to be hard. It's against the current. It's not easy to do. So. We're going to unpack it. It's going to be amazing. God's going to show up and do what only he can do in our church. I have no doubt that people are going to be saved. Families are going to be restored. Our church is going to become unified. Satan's going to tremble. And the kingdom of God is going to be advanced. We won't get there because we're going to have great preaching and singing, and then, you know, ooh, we're going to put some stickers on the wall. We ain't going to get there because of that. But the Holy Spirit that was at work in leading Jesus and his life here is at work in the lives of the people that are here. And we have become a royal priesthood. We have become a people of his own possession. We have been empowered by a power that is greater than us, and we carry it and many broken vessels that now serve as means for people to see the work of God on the inside that is flooding into the outside of our lives. It's going to be an incredible time. If you need prayer, we'd love to spend some time praying for you as we end our service this morning. I don't know what obedience looks like to you, but I just feel like there's a work of God to push off the fact that I'm 13 minutes over my sermon time and push in to the fact that God's meeting with some of you and calling you to clear, directive action. So if that looks like you taking some time and getting on your knees in your aisle, or coming down to the altar, getting on your knees before God, getting prayed for, you do that. Let's make sure we minister to each other before we leave each other for another week and scatter into the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer team, you come.